Welcome to the American History Podcast, Season 3, Episode 1, Introduction. Welcome to the American History Podcast. Hosted by Sean Morswick. Hello, and welcome to Season 3 of the show. And before we get started, I'd just like to invite you to follow me on Twitter. The handle is at AmericanHisCast. Head over to the website and sign up for the mailing list so you can get uh, the show updates. You can also find a bibliography of the sources that I've used to create the episodes this season. Although it's not up right now, it should be by the time this episode actually airs. And finally, if you have any questions or comments, you can email me. The address is sean at the American History Podcast. Okay, now season three covers the populace, the progressives, and the Great Depression. Thus the title, season three, the populace, the progressives, and the Great Depression. Um, Essentially, we're going to be covering U.S. history from the late 1800s through the late 1930s, um, with particular focus on the 1920s and 30s, certainly the Great Depression and the New Deal. In this season, you can expect to not only learn the history of the era, but a bit of the economics as well. Now, the reason for this latter effort on my part to teach some economics is not because of my great love for economics, although I do find it interesting and do actually like it, Um, but it is because, in my estimation, that you really cannot understand this era without it. Now, after Season 3, we will continue on with Season 4, which will cover the United States and World War II, focusing mostly on the war in the Pacific, And then if everything goes as planned, Season 5 will cover the Vietnam War. Now that's going to be enough episodes to take us forward probably for about the next six years or so, assuming that you're still listening in six years and I'm still doing this at that point, or you guys haven't gotten tired of me and um, just stopped listening completely. All right, so because we here at the American History Podcast love to destroy myths, this season we should be in sheer ecstasy. Why? Well, this era is one of the most myth-filled in all of American history. Um, A typical American will learn the 1920s was an era of wild speculation and rampant capitalism. This so-called little guy was at the mercy of the big businessman. It was the excesses of this era and of unregulated capitalism that that led to the collapse of the stock market, an apocalyptic economic contraction and unemployment on an unprecedented level. Herbert Hoover, the Republican president, was a do-nothing believer in the free market who did just that. Nothing. He sat by as the crisis worsened, simply gazing from his seat in the White House as the world burned down around him. Further, you probably learned the American people demanding action overwhelmingly voted for Franklin Roosevelt. Once elected, FDR's words provided hope and revolutionary programs to help get the economy back on track. Now, if your education deviated from this in any way, then you probably learned that it was not, in fact, FDR that ended the Great Depression, but instead it was World War II. Now, to quote someone famous, every line I have just said is false. Or at least, that is my thesis for this season. Take all of what I just said, and the exact opposite is my argument, which I will elucidate for you shortly. The problem, especially with the Great Depression, is that most historians know very little of economics. Furthermore, politicians in D.C. can always count on, 
and this is unfortunate, historians and economists to sing the praises of big government, even when the historical record does not fit the tune they are singing. Alright, now before we get too far into this, or I get too far off track, let's delve into what you can expect. First, while I will be offering what is, for many of you, a revisionist take on these events, you can be sure that it will not only offer an interesting take on them, but it is grounded in some of the latest research. What I'm saying is that you are, as always, free to disagree, but please give the show and my argument a chance, or at least a fair listening. Another point I should make is that the Great Depression matters, probably now more than ever. I'm not going to condemn one side or another in the great American political debate, but the reality is that FDR is still lauded in mainstream journals. As recently as November 24, 2008, Time magazine had a cover depicting President Obama as FDR. In the aftermath of the housing crash that started in late 2007 and the subsequent Great Recession, politicians and media types pontificated ad nauseum about the ills of the free market and blamed capitalism for the crash. They then referred to the methods which supposedly ended the Great Depression as the ones needed to solve the Great Recession. This era is vitally important, and it is important for you to understand what caused it and why it finally ended. Okay, so let's talk a bit about the professional literature on the subject. Historiographically speaking, there is no consensus on its causes, but a bit of a consensus on its consequences. Let me restart that. Let's talk a bit about the professional literature on the subject. Historiographically speaking, there is no consensus on its causes, but a bit of consensus on the consequences. If you go back to the older literature, it tends to break down into three camps or categories. The first one argued the length and depth of the crash was the result of the collapse of the financial markets in 1929. So it blames the stock market crash. A second camp concluded that the economic distress of the 1930s was a direct result of poorly formulated and politically distorted actions by the government. A third set of researchers took a long-term approach, and they argued that whatever the origins or causes of the Depression, the reasons for its lengths and depth predated and transcended the events of 1929. Now, if you noticed, the short-term school focused on the immediate causes and impacts of the collapse of the New York stock market. They asserted the collapse resulted in a lowering of wealth as well as the disruption of the banking system, which led to the disaster being as intense as it was. Essentially, this school argues the depression was caused by the collapse. Some writers who fall under this school of thought because they focus on the short-term causes, writers such as Irving Fisher, argued a cycle of deflation and indebtedness was the primal cause of the depression. Now, the odd thing, at least for me, is that Fisher is still seen as part of the mainstream. Why do I say that? Well, just a couple of weeks before the stock market crashed, Fisher was claiming the stock market had reached a permanent high. This is a lot like, for those who remember, what happened in the late 1990s. Now, back then, we had books talking about Dow 4000 and extolling the fact that the stock market was just going to go up and up and up and up. Then the dot-com crash came, and people were reminded that what goes up can and must eventually come down. But I digress. One of the main orthodox explanations for the Depression is the Keynesian school. Now, they argue that lower spending led to drops in both income and employment. So, naturally, Keynes argued that government should run a budget deficit when the economy is bad to help keep people fully employed. 
and we'll get into it fully in the season, but this explanation I hope to show is false. Both Hoover and FDR, um, one to a greater extent than the other, attempted to use the mechanisms of government to spend our way to prosperity, and it did not work, as you are going to see. Now, there is a school of thought that offers an explanation that I fully endorse, one that I will be adopting as my thesis as well. And before you think I'm off my rocker, I will say that this thesis was formulated by Nobel Prize-winning economist F.A. Hayek and Murray Rothbard. So what caused the Depression? In this line of thought, the Federal Reserve is the culprit. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, as I'm sure we will have an episode devoted to this, probably more than one, but it was the Federal Reserve which caused the Great Crash, and then subsequent interventions by both Hoover and FDR which simply served to make matters worse. So, I'm sure by now that you can see this season is going to be, well, a bit controversial. Just stick with me until the end. I don't expect everyone to agree with me, but stick around and hear me out. Now, part of the problem will be, I think, that many of you've never heard these things. You've gone through the school system and you're probably taught that FDR and the New Deal saved America. Sadly, although there is plenty of literature that says this just isn't true, the myth of FDR and the New Deal continues amongst the general public. Now, before we go much further, I want to make sure that we're on the same page when it comes to terminology. The first term that I want to define uh, so that we all understand what I'm saying is capitalism. Now, unfortunately, even scholars have trouble with this term. As economist Ludwig von Mises noted, this term was coined by someone who was no friend of the free market system. It comes to us from Karl Marx, a man who believed that it was the worst historical system ever. Now, Mises goes on to say there is no reason to reject the term because, in the end, it effectively describes clearly the source of the great social improvements brought about by capitalism. Those improvements, the result of capital accumulation, are based on the fact that people, generally speaking, do not consume everything they produce. In fact, they save and invest. But I digress. The definition of capitalism is simply a system in which people are free to use their private property without outside interference. This is why it is sometimes referred to as the free market system. You're free to choose your own jobs to sell the product of your labor at whatever price you can get for it, and you're free to pick whatever products you prefer to purchase with your money. Now, there are different systems called capitalism, be they the American form or, say, the British form. However, these systems are also different from the forms they took, say, 100 years ago. And while they might allow some freedoms, or even many freedoms, they can still, and often do, fence themselves in with heavy government regulations. Now, the next and really the final term that I want to define in this episode is socialism. We will, I'm sure, revisit all of these terms later, but for now, again, I refer to Ludwig von Mises for my definition. In his book Socialism, an Economic and Sociological Analysis, published originally in 1951, Mises defines socialism as a policy which aims at constructing a society in which the means of production are socialized, rather than capitalism, in which the means of production are privately owned. Okay. So before we go, because I'm pretty much done with this episode, let me just give you a sort of roadmap for season three. As of the time of this writing, I have planned roughly 30 episodes, but I'm sure the number will change between now and the actual end of the season. Tomorrow, you will get an episode on Austrian economics, just a basic primer. Actually, you'll get two, one tomorrow and one the next day. And then you're going to get an episode about railroads. So we're going to have four episodes back to back to back to back. These are going to be released, like I said, one day after the other. Then, in April, we will continue 
Bible release in one episode per month minimum. I would love to guarantee two per month, but I just don't see that happening. As we all know, life interferes, and I have like many balls in the air, so it's really difficult for me to do more than that. Episodes will release on the first Monday of each and every month. So, thank you for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode. Do you like the sound of the American History Podcast? My audio production is provided by the Mad Octopus. Check them out over at madoctopusmedia.com.